Before we begin our Torah study, can we pray together? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This is Shabbat Nachamu. Can you say that with me? Shabbat Nachamu. And Nachamu is a word that means comfort. And it is a Shabbat dedicated to comfort. We have just completed a time of mourning the three weeks of, um, that end with Tisha B'Av are times of, of sadness before the Lord. And then we're preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And sometimes when we're doing soul searching, after a time of sadness, it can be too sad for people. And so it's a Jewish tr tradition to switch moods at this time and to have a series of Haftorah readings that are dedicated to consolation. And this one is called Nachamu. It's from Isaiah. And uh, later on in our study, we'll be reading from it. But I want to orient you to that because this is the theme for us and for the Jewish people worldwide. We're concentrating on the comfort of God. Excuse me, I need to drink. And yes, if you're wondering, it is water. Pure water. And when I run out of this one, not to worry. I've got this one. I'm a two-fisted water drinker. <laughs> I want to share with you a little bit about a vision for a blessed life that touches you and touches your family and also those who will be your descendants in the future. And it's based on lining our life up with the will of God and having clear vision in addition to courage, faith, hope, and desire, having clear vision that, that works together and helps us be overcomers and helps us move forward in challenges in life. How many people have had the experience in the last year of having no challenges whatsoever? Okay, well, we're in the right group. We've all had some challenges. We don't even have to count them. I think we could have a contest. Who's had one? Who's had two? It is just part of life, isn't it, to have challenges? And the challenges don't take away from our life. They are just the context in which we face our lives and we go forward. And it's useful to understand that we can be overcomers. So we don't want to become complacent and we don't want to just settle for the current condition that we're in, but it's useful for each of us to ask of ourselves, where am I? And you can say to yourself, where am I? And to take note of your current condition and your situation. Sometimes I take my hope temperature if I can describe it that way. I, everybody knows what a thermometer is, right? Well, if you could imagine one metaphorically, uh, 
a way of measuring hope. I try to measure whether my hope is like full. That would make me what? Hopeful. Yes, thank you. Exactly. Hopeful. Full of hope. Or whether I'm like half hope or almost empty. Do you ever do something like this? Do you ever take stock of yourself and examine your condition in this way? I think it's useful to do it. And there's a reason. If a person is hopeless, what's the remedy? Hope, more hope. Sometimes all you need is to be simple with yourself and to take notice of what you're missing because some more hope can make all the difference. I try to be simple, that's why when I'm thirsty, you know what I do? I drink water, yeah. It's good to know what one's condition is and to be able to pray clearly with the Lord and to say, Lord, here's, here's where I am to ask questions of the Lord, to express your honest relationship questions with God so that he can interact with you. It's also important to know where you're headed. What are you aiming for? The journey is important and the destination is important. And then there's one more thing that we need, chazon. Say that with me. Chazon. Chazon is a Hebrew word that means vision. It also means insight from God or prophecy or revelation, prophetic revelation. These are all good definitions of chazon. And I like to say that chazon should not be confused with calzone, which though delicious, is not going to help you in the ways that you need. Chazon is so important, the scripture says, without it, people perish. Without vision, without prophetic insight and revelation, without chazon, people cast off restraint. What that means is they don't know how to choose. They can't choose well, they don't know what to choose to do, and they don't know what to choose not to do. So, so they're stuck without restraints and without clarity. We need to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, and chazon is a key for that. Now, that's an introduction, and we're gonna move into the Torah reading for today, and then we'll look at some things that Yeshua taught that connect to our Torah reading. So let's start in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through 13. And those of you who have a Bible with you, can you wave it at me? I love to see people with Bibles. Uh, I have a Bible. Uh, I have many Bibles on my phone and on my computer. I have paper Bibles, I love Bibles. James New is one of the people who loves Bibles too, right James? Yeah, he's, he's he, he, loves, uh, he loves the scriptures and he loves, he, he's got many of them with him. He is a real fan of the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through 13. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you so that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over 
to possess so that you may fear the Lord your God. Now let me pause and say this, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, yes. And the fear of the Lord shields us from other types of fears. And don't forget that Moses is saying all of this that we're reading at a time when he clearly knows that he himself is not crossing over to the promised land. He has prayed, he has argued with the Lord, he has pleaded with the Lord, and he has heard from the Lord that he's not going into the land. But he's also heard from the Lord to stop focusing on his own situation because he is strong, Moses is strong, and he sees beyond himself, he sees what God is doing and he sees what God wants to do for Israel. And God is using Moses to help other people move into their future. This is one of the the greatest roles that every individual can play in life, and that is to help other people move into their future. We each have a future in God, God has a good future for us, but other people have futures that we can help them with. And that's what Moses is doing. That is his intent here. And so the scripture goes on. So that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. And we can extend that because it's right to, to say you and your son and daughter, and you and your grandchildren, because the Hebrew is inclusive, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So this is speaking about a vision for the future that covers yourself, it covers your family, it covers your descendants beyond your children even. It's a lifelong vision, it's not short term, it's long term, but it does equip us for short term action, so it's useful. Verse three, therefore, in light of that, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe, be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's an interesting image, milk and honey. Honey is something that bees produce, right? Milk is something that animals produce, but you don't benefit from either of those unless you do your work. You've got to milk the cows or get milk from the sheep or from the goats, and you've got to do your work. You've got to take care of that which has been entrusted to you. You've got to collect the honey. So the land is a good land, and it's a land that will nurture and provide for the people, but the people have to do work too. They have to collaborate. This is not the Garden of Eden where you just walk around picking fruit and that's all you have to do. Everything grows on its own and requires no effort from from us. This is the land in the world that we're living in now. This is a land that will require action on our part, collaboration on our part. And it teaches us something. 
that when God is giving us a good future, it also requires of us that we collaborate and participate. We are not called to be passive recipients, but active collaborators. So if you're sitting next to someone who you like, you can smile at them and say, you've got work to do too. You also have work to do. So there's a vision here. It's a vision of good, and I hope you see that hope is embedded in this. I want you to see that there's a hopefulness that's being expressed. Because in verse 3, it says that it may be well with you. How many are in favor of it going well with you? I am. That's what I want. I want for me that it goes well. I want for you that it goes well, and I'm sure that you want that for yourselves and for your loved ones as well. I know you do. And it says that you would multiply greatly as the Lord has promised you. So here, hope is working with courage, and courage and resolve are working together. And then let's go to verse 4. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It's one of the central scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Yeshua called this the greatest commandment, to listen to God, to love him with all that you have. And it speaks of a relationship. It's active. It's alive. It's personal. And it's mutual. There's a two-way relationship here. It's not just an abstraction. I want to practice the Hebrew together, and, and there's a reason for it. So let's, let's practice the Shema. We're just going to say it. I'll call out words and phrases. You repeat after me. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ooh, if you did that well, congratulate yourselves. It's good to practice that. And then let's, let's go on and we'll practice the, the second part of that passage. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. V'chol levavcha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol me'odecha. You know, you dropped out a little bit. Uh, I, I think... <laughs> I'm going to work with you on this, and I was telling Sandy I had to come up with a new name for, for this type of segment or this type of action. You know, we all know Kadima, right? Kadima means forward or charge, but do you know the word in Hebrew, Chadasha? Chadasha? Habrit HaChadasha means Habrit, the covenant, HaChadasha, the new. It translates into English more simply as the new covenant. So Chadasha, not to be confused with almost in Russian, Chadasha, don't confuse it with that. Chadasha, say that with me. Chadasha, good, you're, you're doing well today. So Chadasha means new or renewed. And in Jeremiah 31, where God says, I will make a new covenant with you, He's speaking of 
Habrit Hacharasha, a new covenant that is on one hand different from the covenant at Sinai, and on the other hand is a renewal of that covenant. So instead of the laws being written on tablets, the law will be written on the heart. That's a major difference. And instead of people thinking of the laws of God as being something external to conform to, there will be an intimate relationship that's described as knowing God, a kind of intimate fellowship and relationship. And this will be typical of Habrita Harashah, the renewed covenant, the new covenant. It's a, it's a great promise, isn't it? And so this word Hadashah, I thought, okay, maybe we're gonna call these Hadashah segments, renewal segments, refreshment segments, new segments, so that you can practice some foundational things if it's new to you, or you can practice it and get better at it if you're familiar with it, but you may be a little rusty. I wanna help you not be rusty. And so we're going to go through uh, um, one more time with that in mind. And we're just going to say, it's a Hadasha segment, Hadasha practice. It, and I'm going to pay close attention because I want everyone to succeed and feel comfortable. And you don't have to worry about getting it perfect because over the weeks and the months of practice in using such things, it just goes deep inside. It becomes easy to memorize and to remember and to recall. So don't worry. This is not a test. I see some of you already sweating. It's like, oh no, I didn't come to synagogue to be tested. I, I hate tests. I hate pop quizzes. This is not one of those. We're not gonna call you out and test you. This is just a chance for you to practice. Okay, so repeat after me. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. Good, okay, you were strong. Now we're gonna keep going. Bachol levavcha uvachol nafshecha uvachol Meodecha. You did really well. I congratulate you. You're, you're doing well with that. You can congratulate yourselves. You can applaud yourselves, pat yourself on the back. And you can say to yourself, golly, that wasn't so hard. Some people have difficulty with the cha. If you grew up using cha, of course it's easy to keep using it. If you didn't, I'll give you a trick. And this is a, a language professor's trick that we learned. You, if you have difficulty with the cha, you, you don't want to try to make a k sound. If you start with the ka sound and you try to convert it to a cha, you can't do it. It doesn't work that way. It's better to start with the H sound, the huh, huh. Just say it with me, huh. And then try to convert that with a little bit of guttural huh, huh. 
Right. Now, if, try the K. If you go K and you try to convert that to a H, huh, you may end up projectile spitting. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to convert it. It doesn't actually work. But the H to the H huh does. It uses the same part of the mouth and formation. So if you're having difficulty, just switch to the huh sound and then add a little huh, huh. You're not clearing your throat. Uh, you're just a little huh. Say with me, huh, huh, ha ha ha. Yeah, good, okay. Well, that was a free lesson on a little Hebrew practice. It's, it's good to practice and to have these verses hidden in your heart, and one of the ways of doing that is to memorize the verse, both in Hebrew and in English, and that way when you need to use it, you can, and believe me, you'll need to use it frequently. It's very powerful to have this. Verse six goes on to say, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. How do we get them in our hearts? We, we use them. We memorize them. We practice them. We say them. We read them. We write them. All the tools that we can use to make them familiar. But using repetition week after week, every Shabbat, you will hear these words. That helps you get them inside so that they stay in your heart. And once they're in our hearts, then we can use them for our children and for our grandchildren as well. Then verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So we're called to teach them diligently to our children, and that is every parent's calling and every grandparent's calling to teach them diligently to your children, to your own children, to the children of the community, and to children in your circle of influence. Now we can honor all of those who are professional teachers, and congratulations to you who teach. And to all the homeschool teachers, we honor you for the work that you do in teaching. But this is not limited to those who would be professionals. This also applies to everyone, anyone, any child who is in your circle of influence can benefit from your experience, your knowledge, your engagement with them. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here we're told to set up markers and reminders as well as routines connected to those. But I want you to notice that these are external markers, but where is the most important place to put God's word? In your heart and in your mind too. That's right, to learn them so we can teach them. Verse 10, and so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. So these are some of the details of the blessing that is yet to come for Israel 
when they go into the land, but remember where they have come from and where they are. They are still in the desert, in the unsettled territory where they are. They still have to go in, and you know it's not gonna be just easy going in. They're gonna have to face some challenges and difficulties that the desert experience has prepared them for. So these are details of the blessing. And when we receive God's promises, it's not just what you work for. In this case, it says cities you didn't build, and houses you didn't build, and wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant. So you're enjoying the work of other people. But it also gives us uh, a perspective, if we can see it this way, and that is to leave a blessing for others to walk in. Let it be that what you use and what you accomplish in life is also for the benefit of other people. And let's continue. It says, when you've eaten and are full, then, then beware. When you've eaten and are full, then beware. It's an interesting expression because I think all of us can identify that. When you have eaten so much that you are full, what can happen? <sighs> a little sleepy, a little tired, take a nap, eat too much, take a nap, eat some more, take a nap, eat some dessert, take a nap. When you've eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware. Another way of saying it is be careful. Be careful not to forget. And it takes special effort to remember all this. It takes intentional effort to remember. And as I was studying this this week, I, I realized that I would treat verse 12 as if it were one simple statement, lest you forget the Lord. That's how I took it, lest you forget the Lord. And I was acting like what I need to do is just remember the Lord. That's only one part of what it says. There are three distinct parts that are expressed here. The Lord, the second part is who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the third part is from the house of bondage or slavery. And so we are told to remember the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Remember what you came out of and remember who brought you out. And so this is useful to us because it helps us realize that the Lord is saying that we may need to remember our difficult past, our difficult circumstances, even our traumas, even the things that, that, um, that touched us and our families for generations and generations. This is something that the Jewish people have learned. Remember our slavery. Remember it. Remember it, but remember also that God brought us out of slavery. Remember the trauma. Don't forget it, but reframe it. The reframing is so important. Otherwise, um, you'll remember only the trauma, but not the redemption. 
And when we think that way without redemption, our life can be trapped by fear and by discouragement, and we can become uh, unwitting victims in life rather than overcomers. So here's how we reframe it. The Lord brought us out of that place and out of that terrible condition. And that's useful for everyone who's ever been through trauma or betrayal or great loss or abuse. And it's useful for those who are in the middle of trauma because what you might not recognize is that these instructions were given to Israel and Israel wasn't out of the trauma. They were out of the slavery, but they weren't out of all the trauma. They were still in a difficult time in life. And it was not going to be easy just because they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land. It was gonna continue to be challenging for them. They left their homes and their cities and what was familiar, and they went to a land like Abraham that they didn't know. And, and they had to deal with people and hostilities and wars and battles and language issues and culture issues and religious issues that could undermine everything for them. So it's useful to remember that even these who were receiving this instruction, they were in the middle of challenging circumstances. They weren't all the way through it. But when we can remember that the Lord has redeemed us, it, it moves us from being a victim to being the redeemed of the Lord. And I love the, the scripture that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're redeemed of the Lord, you can say so. And how do you do it? I'll tell you how I do it. I say so. It's that simple. I say, the Lord has redeemed me. I say, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I say to me, hey me, you're the redeemed of the Lord. The Lord has redeemed you. And I say to you, you are the redeemed of the Lord. The Lord has redeemed you. And I'm the redeemed of the Lord. The Lord has redeemed me. And so you can practice. If you're sitting near somebody, uh, side by side or front to back, whatever, just look at them and say, you're the redeemed of the Lord. You're the redeemed of the Lord. But you can also say it in the first person. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. Tell somebody that. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. It's good to tell yourself that because it reframes how you view yourself and how you view life. I think it helps bring healing. It's one of the benefits of reframing, and it's a very useful tool that uh, helps people move through trauma into healing. And it's a very practical and useful insight when we have clear memory about our past and that's combined with clear memory about what God has done for us, it helps us. And it's a kind of remembering that is distinctive, though not unique, about the Jewish people. And it's useful to everyone. And that's why regarding the Holocaust, we'll say, um, never forget. And we will never forget and we will remember. And we have days of remembering where we remember even difficulty. 
but we do it with a sense of redemption. Otherwise, if you just remember your traumas and your difficulties, it'll just take you down, 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 down. There's a reframing. I went through that. We went through that, and God brought us out of it. And he is bringing us out. And what about for the people who haven't come out yet? You're still in trauma. It's remembering what he has done that's complete and then anticipating that step by step, step by step, he will do it again and continue to do it. It's a perspective on life. What do you know about the redemption of God? I can tell you. You are evidence of the faithfulness of God to keep a remnant and to redeem a remnant. And then you can take it another step, and the scripture does in verse 20, and that's tell other people, including your children. It says, someday your child will ask you what's the meaning of the instructions, laws, and rulings which Adonai, our God, has laid down for you, and then you'll tell your child. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Same three points, just rephrased. We were slaves. Let's say that together. We were slaves. We were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. That's our history. And this is our collective memory. It's the memory of the Jewish people that we pass on to our children and to our grandchildren. Passover is one of the times when we do that. We convey to them an inheritance of memory and of redemption as well. Now let's connect this to Yeshua's teachings. And it's no wonder that Yeshua said that what we just were reading from um, Deuteronomy 6, that this is the greatest commandment. Now this is eye-opening for some people who think Yeshua should have said something different. There are people whose theology isn't the same as Yeshua's theology. And so when they're asked, what's the greatest commandment? Their answer is, there are no commandments. Here's how you can tell whether your theology is right. Compare your answers to Yeshua's answers. If you give his answers, then you are truly a follower of Yeshua, and he's your greatest teacher and authority. And if you give somebody else's answers, then maybe you're a fickle fan. So let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 28, a few verses here, and then we'll close with just the opening verses of Isaiah and Nachamu. Mark 12, verse 28. How many of you know that this is in that part of the complete Bible that we would call Habrit HaKadoshah, the New Covenant? Mark is in, in the, good. Mark 12, 28, then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that Yeshua had answered them well, asked Yeshua, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the greatest commandment? And Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, b'chol levavcha, u'v'chol nafshecha, 
How do we know he gave that answer? Because he was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. He could have spoken in Spanish if he were a Spanish-speaking Jew. He, he definitely was not a King James English-speaking something. Can I, can I tell the truth like that? Is that okay? I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, even though I am, and it comes naturally to me. <laughs> but I'm saying it because we would read the next verses in English because we're reading a translation, but he was speaking in Hebrew. Yeah. And one day asked me about the time that the Pope and then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu were arguing about what language Yeshua spoke. It was a fascinating moment. I watched, I, it, truly, I, I, I watched when the Pope said something about uh, Yeshua speaking Aramaic, and Netanyahu said, he spoke Hebrew. And then the Pope said, he spoke Aramaic. And then Netanyahu said Hebrew and Aramaic. And it was a stalemate at that point. It didn't go any further. But it was so fascinating. One day I'll post that again. Uh, it, it sounds like it, I just made that up, but it's not. It actually happened. And I was pretty accurate in the way I described it. So Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Ve'haftet Adonai Elohecha B'chol Lavavcha V'chol Nafshecha V'chol Me'odecha. Just like that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And then Yeshua says, and the second is like it. It's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There are other commandments. These are number one and number two, and they work together. Do you see that? That's what the text is saying. That's what Yeshua said. And so the scribes said to him, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the, all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That is so useful to hear and to see recorded in the New Testament Gospels because it counters many people's false image of the interaction between Yeshua and his own Jewish people and, and Jewish teachers. Here you have Yeshua giving an answer that is well received by a Jewish teacher and a Jewish teacher putting in his own words his position about the same thing and they are in agreement and respectful to each other. They're not arguing with each other they are acknowledging that they share the same understanding and value. Do you see that? And it goes, it goes against the common idea that the Judaism of that day was just harsh legalism and rigid and, and there was no understanding of a loving relationship with God. But here, Yeshua and a scribe are interacting around their familiar 
interpretation that a relationship with God is central. So that's useful for us. So then, verse 34, when Yeshua saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So each of them is showing respect to the other. Now with that in mind, let's close with the Haftorah, just a few verses, Isaiah 40, verses one and two. Comfort and keep comforting my people, says your God. Tell Jerusalem to take heart. Proclaim to her that she has completed her time of service, that her guilt has been paid off, and that she has received at the hand of Adonai double for all her sins. Here's the content of the comfort. The price has been paid in full. And there is a price to pay. There's guilt, and there is a price to pay. Redemption was needed, and the Lord has paid it. And so this is part of the comfort. It may not be familiar to, to everyone, but it needs to be familiar to us so that we can interact well with our Jewish people who are focusing on this very passage today and in the weeks to come. There's a price to pay for redemption, and God pays that price. This helps explain how Yeshua's sacrifice fits in to the story of redemption and the need for redemption. All of us need to be redeemed. All of us fall short. All of us have to reckon with the fact that we cannot save ourselves. We need a sacrifice. We need atonement. Moses needed a sacrifice. The high priests need a sacrifice. Everyone needs the Lord to pay the price that we can't pay for our own guilt. We can do our part, but it's never enough. When we compare ourselves to Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Holy One, the one who created us and the one in whom there's no shadow of turning. When we compare ourselves to him, we find ourselves falling short, missing the mark. He is holy and we fall short. And that's why there are moments when we recognize we need Yeshua. And that recognition becomes a turning point, a point of inflection in our lives when everything can change simply by acknowledging that, confessing our sin to God, and allowing God to provide the atoning sacrifice that we need. That's foundational. And so let us take comfort in this and let us spread comfort to others that it is possible to be reconciled to God as a Jew or as someone from any nation who wants to join with the God of Israel. It is possible thanks to the wonderful redeeming work of Messiah Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. We honor you in Yeshua's name. Amen.
We're gonna close with Aaron's blessing in just a moment. Would you please rise? And if it's your custom to stand with people, if your protocols allow it, you can do that. If you need distance, then please respect each other's uh, need for that distance. And would you consider standing with us financially? If this sanctuary service, if this live stream service is a blessing to you, if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast is a blessing to you, or any of the ministries of Beth Israel, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is available on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving. And let's close with Aaron's blessing. I'm standing right next to Aaron. So I get a little blessing just by being with him. A big, a big blessing, actually. Yeah, we're good friends. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yisamlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.